Welcome, everybody, to the Silver Spoon and Roll post-game podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined by Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, the Houston Rockets beat the Lakers 113-97. to So, naturally, the uh, entire city of Houston is celebrating like they just won a championship, and, and yet they can't quite figure out why nobody likes them. <laughs> yeah, the, the vibe on this show is going to be a little bit different than last week when the Lakers started the seeding games because – it's only been one week, and yet I feel like everything that I liked about the Lakers is somehow no longer true. <laughs> yeah, I was today was the first time uh, that that even Jen noticed. Like, hey, do, do these guys even like each other? Like, what? <laughs> I thought these guys liked each other. Uh, and and yeah, it's it's been wild to see that kind of turn. We'll we'll kind of touch on that a little bit later in the show, but. Uh, let's start with the game itself. The Lakers, like I said, one thirteen to ninety seven. They fall to two and three in the bubble itself. LeBron didn't play. Uh, Anthony Davis may as well have not have either. Uh, <laughs> you know, they 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 uh, scratched Javale McGee without ever really mentioning it. Let's let's start there. What's what do you think is going on there with Javale? Yeah, I was actually hoping we would start there because. So you mentioned that LeBron was ruled out prior to the game. Alex Caruso was ruled out prior to the game. There were like seven other people listed on the injury report, all of whom managed to play. But one person who was not on the injury report was JaVale McGee. And then all of a sudden the game starts and JaVale's not a starter and he's not playing at all. And his absence is sort of just not explained, right? <laughs> he's, right. Uh, he's on the bench, theoretically, although we never get great shots of the bench during the game. So, you know, for some of the first quarter was like, is, is JaVale actually in the room? Is he like, you know, in his hotel room or something? But that that to me is like the strangest part of this, right? Because like you said, the you know, your, your wife was asking, like, do these guys even like each other? Well, it is very weird to go from a guy being your starter the entire season at center. And like, yeah, maybe there are occasional situations where in the second half we play Anthony Davis at center and bench to fail because of the matchup. But again, he is the starter every single game at center. And then to just decide he's perfectly healthy. We're just going to sit him, not tell anybody about it. And he's just supposed to be okay with it is so weird. See, personally, I am shocked that the Lakers would fail to get information out there to the public on any kind of circumstance. <laughs> I myself am am just absolutely flabbergasted <laughs> that a, a, a PR team that has been so good and so forthcoming at every single turn uh, would, would, would fall short on this one. My thing here is, like, did they think nobody would notice? Like, <laughs> Hey, uh, there's this guy that we have on our team. He do, he does a lot of vlogs. He's always, you know, really out there. He's this like giant seven foot pterodactyl guy who's like always it's like really easy to notice out there on the court. He's just not going to be out there, and we aren't going to bring it up. Like it's just the whole the whole dynamic to it is really weird. And then when you kind of couple that with the reports where LeBron said, you know, there's been something else been going on. And Frank Vogel was asked about the starting lineup. And, and he kind of said that it's a bigger deal than that even. And then, and then, you know, to go from that to, yeah, JaVale McGee is a, a version of a DMP CD basically. Uh, and, and, and yeah, the, the, the lack of clarity there. And now as we're recording, we'll probably get, I would hope somebody is going to ask everybody about what was going on there, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, as things kind of stand, if you're if you're paying any kind of attention consist- consistently to this Lakers team in this bubble, 
this team that has been so close throughout the year to go from that to immediately to this, you know, I mean, I, I guess, I guess uh, absence did the opposite of making the heart grow fonder <laughs> when, when, when everybody was away from each other. Maybe it's true about all those, you know, practice runs they had in Bel Air. So they really did spend all of this time together. Now it's just like, maybe it's a bit much, but <laughs> Like, like you said, like, it would have been so easy for the Lakers to just issue a statement, you know, JaVale is totally fine, but this is the second night of a back-to-back. We just want to be precautionary, so we're not going to play him today. Totally legitimate reason not to play JaVale. Like, we want to get our other guys some minutes. Second night of a back-to-back. <laughs> right? This is a very easy situation to manage. And they were just like, eh, let's just leave it open-ended and see what, you know, thoughts fill the void. <laughs> yeah, I mean – you know the, the the number one rule that they teach you when you're when you're getting into PR and any PR specialist will say, either you tell your story or other people are going to tell it for you, and you have no control over where that story goes. Right? That's the entire purpose <laughs> of 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 why you have a PR team is so that you can steer the narrative where you want it to go. And like you're saying, there were so many explanations, like. Hey, we haven't played in four months. We are now playing for the first time on an almost every night or every other night basis. In this case, literal every every night. This is the second night of a back-to-back. We clinched a couple nights ago. Uh, JaVale hasn't quite gotten his legs out from under him uh, for, you know, as, as he's gotten out here. You know, any number of explanations. But then to just be like, oh, yeah, JaVale, um, was he that forgot his shoes. <laughs> Like, 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 I saw one report was like, yeah, JaVale McGee is here, but he's wearing sandals. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, you know, and again, you know, it's hard not to connect the dots here between this latest thing that's going on here, whether or not it's a thing, we'll see. And, and the, you know, kind of ambiguous rumors that have been going on where Joe Varden is, 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 you know, passing along pieces of paper to LeBron so that the question isn't actually on the record, you know, like what, what you, you, you expect anybody who is paying attention to this to not connect those dots. And, and yeah, I, I walk away from it. This should be like the story of this game should be, Hey, yes. Houston playing with James Harden uh, and everybody, but Russell Westbrook, beat the Lakers when they didn't have the engine and rudder to their offense in LeBron James. Like that should be as, as simple a version of, of the events as we can possibly get. But here we are starting with this because of everything else that has been going on. And, and what's really, really wild to me is that if you were to find any kind of define any kind of perfect situation to be able to steer the narrative, however you want to steer it, it would be this one because there is literally nobody else out there other than the people who were involved in all this and the four or five beat reporters who are also there in the bubble. There, there are no other variables here at work other than those things that the Lakers can control. And yet here we still are wondering about this latest, you know, this latest gaff of, of how these guys are handling a, a relatively easy situation. Yeah, but you know, the Lakers don't do anything simple, right? <laughs> and even if, just like as a quick aside, it's so funny to me that in the bubble, um, you know, there's only what, 
12 to 15 reporters outside of ESPN and Turner that were invited to be a part of this experience. And what, like five of them are Laker specific writers. <laughs> I mean, I was listening to another podcast the other day and Ben Golliver was saying that he went to a wizards game the other night and he was literally the only media member present at this game. <laughs> it's <laughs> not like, that different know? from how things usually are though. So to think about it, like every single media member in the bubble essentially is coming to these Laker games. Right. Whereas there's legitimately games happening where the media has just decided to you know, pretend they don't exist. It's, <laughs> it's so funny to me. Like the Lakers are overcovered, even in this once in a generation situation where, you know, people have to apply to be a part of this experience and submit to testing. And like, it's, it's so crazy to me. But yeah, the Lakers, they just, they have to make things a little more interesting than they need to be. Right. It, it's not just ever as straightforward as, our center is taking the day off so we can get an extra look at Marquise Morris and Jared Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> the no. Lakers or the, the Wizards should just not play Isaac Bongo one night and see if anybody notices. Anybody notice? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's really quickly summarize up or, 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 or give a couple thoughts on the game and then we'll move on to the other stuff uh, that builds on, on the stuff that you and I are talking about. But did you notice anything from the game like the big story of the Lakers basketball to this point in the bubble has been their uh, inability to make anything from three-point range. They shoot two of 19 uh, from out there tonight or last night by the time everybody is listening to this. And, you know, do you have a running theory on on why the Lakers shooting has been this bad? Or is it just, you know, sometimes these things happen? So today was the first game where I really thought the Lakers struggled to generate good three-pointers. Whereas Mm. against Toronto, I thought there was a decent number of good looks, you know, against Utah and Oklahoma city, there were a decent number of good looks and they just weren't converting. And obviously the big difference between those games and this one is that the engine and the rudder of these Lakers offense, LeBron James is not playing. So it's a lot harder to come by clean three-point looks. Uh, But yeah, today was the first day where I thought, I don't really like any of these shots that the Lakers could be taking from three. I didn't like a ton Mm -hmm. of the shots that they did take from three. And it was the first time where it sort of felt like it was seeping into the Lakers psyche where should we be taking threes because we're not making them, you know, like there was not as much instinct as you would want, right? Like there was, they were being bogged down a little bit in their decision-making and that worries me a little bit. Like, you know, you see a guy like Danny Green play 25 minutes and not attempt a three-pointer. That's wild. That's strange, right? Um, My dude, what is your job? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even Quinn Cook, right? Uh, presumably, he is not in the game to be a point guard, although he was the team's leading assist man with four assists, but that's an entirely different problem with the Lakers' Some offense. Sheldon Mack energy uh, right there. <laughs> but he, even in the first quarter, first half, I didn't see him take any three-pointers. Like, I mean, like, what, what are you doing if you're not there to spread the floor? You know, these are, these are your jobs, right? Like KCP, uh, Quinn Cook, Danny Green. In the first half, they combined to take, what, three? I mean, sorry, one three-pointer, two three-pointers altogether, <laughs> three of them. And it's like, I, I don't understand what your purpose is on the court if you're not going to be taking three-pointers. And again, part of it is that they didn't really have a point guard creating looks for them. But it's also like, maybe they're starting to think about it, you know, like, should we be taking different shots? Because we know the threes aren't going to go in. I mean, you look at that lineup, right? So the Lakers starting lineup was Quinn Cook at the de facto point guard spot, uh, Mm -hmm. KCP, Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma, and Anthony Davis. So 
the objective there actually makes sense, right? right? Hey, let's make everything as wide open as possible because we know on the other end, the math is not going to favor us in this, in this game. Because otherwise, like if, if the Lakers were going to take the approach that they took tonight, you would just play Dwight Howard a bunch, right? And you would generate mm-hmm. as many two-point looks to make up for, you know, you would try to take more two-pointers and overall shots than Houston was going to take on the other end to make up for the fact that Houston's attempts were going to be worth an extra point, right? That, that's mm-hmm. the way that the math in basketball should actually work here. Uh, and, and I know, I know, listening to a, a math problem on a podcast is exactly what everybody signs up for. But the math or, or the, the logic behind the starting lineup actually makes some sense here is, all right, we know what they're going to do on the other end over there. Let's try to duplicate some of that. But when you're saying, like you're saying, they take two or one uh, total three-pointer between that entire group in the first half, and and yet still somehow the TNT guys are like, I can't believe the Lakers are taking so many three-pointers. Yo, did you watch? <laughs> what were you watching? Anywho, uh, but but I'm I'm I, I walk away from this and and yeah, that's to me, whether or not you make or miss three-pointers, like we always hear that it's a make or miss league. It's one of the most frustrating cliches because of its simplicity, but also because of its truth. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, sometimes you just have it going some nights you do, but when you are reticent to actually take those three pointers in the first place, that tells me that those thoughts are creeping into the back of your head. And, mm-hmm. and that lack of confidence is something that carries over moving forward. And, and again, and we'll take a quick second here to, to kind of tie all this stuff together. But when you're hearing all these kind of anywhere from innocuous to ominous rumors about things that are going on away from the court. And then you see such an, a clear lack of confidence as evidenced by the way that the Lakers approach their offense tonight. It, it again forces us to ask the question, what the hell is going on? So let's yeah. take a quick second and uh, Sabrina and I will try to figure out what the hell is going on. All right, Sabrina, what the hell is going on? (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember in 2017 when the Dodgers just ran all over the National League and the rest of the majors for like the first four months of the regular season? And then right as they were about to clinch like the NL West and the NL, they went on this three-week streak where they legitimately could not win a single game. Yeah. It was the strangest thing because we knew this team was excellent. And yet, for whatever reason they were just losing in all kinds of ways. Like either they would get, you know, blown out at the start of the game and be like down five zero before they even took the bat or, you know, their bullpen would blow it or just whatever. But we knew that it wasn't like representative of what the team actually was. That's kind of how I feel right now, because this is such a strange situation, right? Like I think LeBron is kind of trying to make light of the situation where he said, you know, I don't know how it feels to be the number one seed in the bubble during the seeding games in August, right? Like there's, there's some extenuating circumstances here that make this a very, uh, you know, uncomfortable experience, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and for now, I, I kind of just choose to believe that that's less indicative of who the Lakers are than the 63 games that preceded the shutdown because 
yes, Avery Bradley is gone. And that is a, you know, that's a loss that I don't think um, we really have been able to address adequately just because Rondo's also gone and there's like this compounding set of circumstances. But I don't think the Lakers are meaningfully worse than they were before the shutdown. And I think, you know, if we had like another week and a half, or we, I think we had like two more weeks before the playoffs start, they'll, they'll start to show more of what they are, you know, during that time. It just needs a little time to ramp up because you look at the scrimmage games, LeBron plays what one and a half games out of the scrimmages. Um, I think Anthony Davis played like 25 minutes total during the scrimmages. There really wasn't an opportunity for them to build up and, we're kind of just seeing that, right? Like this is, this is just an example of a team that didn't have a ton of urgency going into this setup because, you know, they only needed to what their magic number was three to clinch the one seed going in and they've already reached that. And there are a lot of other teams that are playing for something a lot more concrete that are playing significantly harder than the Lakers are. Yep. And you're, you're just seeing that, right? Like I think it was clearest against Oklahoma city where like those guys were just, clinical, you know, and the Lakers are not, and it's disappointing to see like that gap in effort and intensity, but I don't think it's like not fixable. And I, I just think that, you know, the chemistry comes when teams win, right? When they start winning again, we'll start seeing all the lovey-dovey, you know, all these guys are my best friends all over again. Yeah. I tend to agree with you. I think like 75% of me agrees with you. Uh, and, and more so for, you know, the devil's advocate here, I'll, I'll make this point because you already alluded to Avery Bradley and you mentioned Rajon Rondo, Lionel Hollins also isn't out there right now. And, and we know that chemistry team chemistry is this completely intangible, undefinable thing that Mm -hmm. because of, because of those descriptors of what chemistry is it is inherently volatile right like you either you know like you were saying the winds will come and then everybody will kind of turn things around well yeah that that, i think that's probably going to be the case but like how did it get here in the first place when when you think about it last time we saw these guys was a win against the clippers first and then a win that solidified the number one seed overall in the conference so, like, it, it's hard to see how you would go from that kind of a height to whatever the hell is going on right now. And, and you know, it's not so much to say that, like, Avery Bradley was key. Although I will say that, you know, while they were – while you know, before all of this started going on, there were a lot of Lakers who were talking about the, the Bradley or the Avery Bradley challenge, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the ideals – or the principles that came with the way that Bradley challenged people on defense and, and how that carried over not only to the rest of the team's defense, but overall energy and focus everywhere else on the court. Like I, you know, we've already heard them talk about that being a factor. Now that is no longer there. And he has been replaced by somebody in J.R. Smith, who is, I, I would I don't think it's too far to say like the literal antithesis of that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um and then, and then, you know, you, you talk about somebody in Rajon Rondo who, for all of his faults, is somebody that Anthony Davis hugely respects, uh, LeBron James deeply respects, even DeMarcus Cousins is somebody that, that all, uh, other players said, you know, played an important role uh, with the chemistry on the team because he was willing to challenge LeBron and Anthony Davis. 
Uh, and, and, you know, we know Lionel Holland is somebody that, you know, a lot of veteran NBA players, you know, really respect for what he brings to the sideline. And I think if you, if you add all these things up and all of these changes, I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's insurmountable in, in, in reversing kind of this rebuild of the culture, but it is just that like some of it is kind of rebuilding and, and finding a new, a, a culture that made the Lakers as strong as they once were. And it's really easy to jump around and, and celebrate and, and show solidarity when, when you're winning. But to me, you know, true chemistry to true, you know, kind of team strength and unity is, is when those chips are down still kind of providing that energy. And it's really kind of concerning uh, even while, like I said, I, I believe about 75% in, in what you were saying earlier that these things will probably come around. It is somewhat concerning that, you know, as soon as the Lakers lose a couple games or, or as soon as JaVale McGee, you know, his, his minutes look like they might start dwindling because AD is playing more minutes at the five, that you get a situation like today where JaVale is just told like, hey, man, just stay away for a bit, you know. Uh, and, and, and we've seen JaVale in the past sulk when Zubats was challenging for minutes and started looking like he might be the better option. And if you add JaVale sulking to all of the other stuff that we talked about previously, at some point this, this, this idea or the balance of chemistry might actually shift and, and, and do so in a more permanent, in a, in a more permanent manner. So, so, you know, how all of these things kind of go over long-term is kind of going to define because this is a strength that the Lakers have over the Clippers, you know, and, and this is something that they would have to equal the Bucks is this culture and the and the belief that they had in the teammate next to them. And if they can't quite find that in the way that they did prior to uh, the league shutting down, that hugely changes the math on what this team is capable of. Yeah, absolutely. Um I will say the one thing that worries me about the chemistry is when Danny Green said that Avery Bradley's been a little distant since he opted out. Mm. Um, Now, I don't think that it's strange that a player who is not part of the regular season would, you know, lose a little bit of contact. I think that's completely normal. And it's to be expected that if he's not participating in all of the team activities, that he just wouldn't have as much reason to be involved, right? right? But I do think it's weird that Danny Green would say that he's been distant. Yeah. Because optics matter. And so right? quickly, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't like it was, he was <laughs> prodded into saying this. He just <laughs> volunteered the information that, oh, yeah, Avery's been a little distant, you know, for the past couple of weeks. I've been left on red for at least a month, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, is, that is the one thing that kind of set an alarm bell off for me about their team chemistry. You make a very good point about the Lionel Hollins piece of it. I had neglected to mention that. Um, but... I also think it's just kind of how things are with the Lakers, right? Like we, we just dig into them, you know, a little bit more. Uh, Like I didn't think their body language looked bad against Oklahoma city. I mean, no more so than it would for a team that lost by 20, you know, I didn't think there was anything really to read into. Obviously like the lovely little athletic story that emerged about how something is not quite right with LeBron James, uh, you know, sends us talking about this stuff a little bit more, but I thought the guys kind of played hard today. You know, I mean, it was a weird lineup 
that Frank Vogel put out and the Big East situation, obviously, as you very smartly alluded to with Ibiza Zubac last year, like that, there's, you know, we have to pay attention to that because we've seen what happens when the East sulks. Um, but I thought the guys, you know, played hard for each other. I didn't think like they were, you know, pointing fingers at one another, really. I thought there was a good general dynamic on the floor, even if the performance was lacking. Uh, so I'm inclined to be a little more optimistic about the chemistry. The thing that I really take away from this game was I would freaking hate to play the Rockets in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> Just would absolutely hate it. Like I, I understand that the Clippers are coming. Like the, the goal of these Western conference playoffs is to play the Clippers in the Western conference finals. And it's going to be hella stressful, but something about playing the Rockets is just like rage inducing because I cannot stand the way this team plays or the way they are reft or what they force us into doing. And it's, it's going to take years off my life. Yeah. I think PJ Tucker just fell over um, <laughs> while, while we've been recording this. I, I, I agree with you um, actually with, with basically everything that you said. And, and I think like it's, it's altogether possible that the Lakers win you know, a game here and a game there, maybe they win a couple in a row and the stuff that you and I are talking about becomes distant memory. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there are reports that Rondo was like trying to get into the bubble or something like that, or they're trying to make it work so that, that Rondo, despite not being so healthy, <laughs> Rondo's like scaling the, the yacht club wall. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> with one hand too, by the way, cause he can't, but, but yeah, he's, he's just, He's apparently going to come in and, and like these voices do actually matter. Like as, as you know, I, these it's, it's hard to define, you know, how some of these voices actually really matter, but somebody like Rondo who, you know, you can make the argument that him just essentially being an assistant coach is the role he should have been playing all along. Mm -hmm. So him showing up and, and getting his voice in there will probably help. Uh, as you said earlier, like I, you look at the minutes in, in, in last night's game or tonight's game, Taylor Horton Tucker plays 19 minutes. And while you know, like all of Lakers Twitter was a Twitter uh, watching <laughs> him play, you know, that's, that's not something that is probably going to happen much moving forward as, as these games start to mean more. Jared Dudley plays 11 minutes. J.R. Smith even plays 13. You know, Quinn Cook started and played 29 minutes. Like that right there should tell you, okay, yeah, the Lakers lost. Um, this is Quinn, how much effort we put into this game. <laughs> like Quinn Cook playing 29 minutes. The fact that the Lakers actually got to, you know, five points of or three points of a hundred points with him uh, out there is, is in and of itself quite the accomplishment. Um, so, so yeah, I, this was a very weird game and I don't want to take away too much from it, but chemistry is such this weird subject and mm-hmm. when you really kind of summarize or, or take into account all the things that are different about this team than the team that we saw have such great chemistry previously like it's it's hard not to kind of be a little nervous about it you know and and it doesn't mean that they can't turn things around but you know it, it's hard not to say like, all right well can we actually see you turn around? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can we actually see that just really quickly so that I can feel a little bit better about myself? Uh, and, 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 and we'll kind of go from there. Um, you mentioned, I, before we go, I actually do want to talk to you about Houston specifically because mm-hmm. I, I, I do think the way that they're refereed, and without sounding like the Homer who complains about refereeing, mm-hmm. uh, 
I do think that's a major factor for a team that wants to physically dominate you the way that the Lakers do, right? Like Absolutely. When you, when you look at the way that like the Clippers would approach beating Houston, it would be in a lot of the same ways that Houston would try to be beating the Clippers. But when you look at how the Lakers would want to beat Houston, if the Lakers get like that Shaq treatment where everybody around him is allowed to hit him with hatchets all game, and then, like, mm-hmm. the one time he, you know, flicks Vlade Divac and he flies into the fifth row, like, that that winds up being two fouls somehow. Like, if that, if that is a fact – if that is something that factors into the math of that series, that does make me nervous about Houston in particular as a matchup here. So, so is there anything beyond that? Like, do you, do you see anything basketball-wise that makes you nervous about, about Houston? I think it's just, you know, the general way that the game is officiated um, and not just with regards to Houston, just that in the league, you know, there's minimal contact allowed on the perimeter and an enormous amount of contact allowed in the paint. And when Houston does all of their damage on the perimeter, right? Like their players are literally all stationed on the perimeter. Yeah. Any amount of contact, you know, results in fouls, whereas the Lakers like to camp themselves out in the paint and you just see, you know, Anthony Davis get, hacked i mean again that sounds like a homer but he gets hacked and that results in seven turnovers instead of what i believe should have been like seven more trips to the foul line Mm -hmm. but i mean they're they're exploiting the way that the game is you know designed right like the the new rule changes make it so that perimeter creation is favored at the expense of post play and they're capitalizing on that and you know kudos to maury and d'antoni for creating a system that you know works mathematically uh but basketball wise i mean like i obviously like there's not a good template for the lakers beating the pocket rockets because you know we lost to them after they made their trade and then this game even though i think the lakers did have one very good win against them without anthony davis back in january or something but yeah, it's, it's not a team that, like, concerns me because I don't think they're consistent enough to win a seven-game series. I just – I think that they would frustrate the Lakers because of how they play, and that concerns me more than anything. That's a good way to put it. Um, on top of just literally the way that the game is called, like, I could mm-hmm. totally see, you know, maybe a couple games where Houston just gets inordinately hot, right, and they win mm-hmm. a couple games there or – you know, there's another game where Davis gets into foul trouble and there goes that advantage. And, and now all of a sudden you're talking about a game seven mm-hmm. where, where anything can happen. Um, we've already seen <laughs> over the course of these bubbles or these bubble games so far, these seeding games, that the Lakers shots could literally just all disappear at the same time. Yeah. So if that happens, like you're talking about another potential loss that gets you to a game seven or to a game six or, or extend that series longer than you want to while the Clippers, you know, route Dallas or Houston or whoever in, in a second round, and then just sit there waiting for you resting uh, in, in the conference finals. So like that, that stuff all really makes me nervous. And like, this is just basically a general plea to the league and it's not a Houston specific thing. It's not a Lakers specific thing, but, But if you have verticality at the rim, if that is a rule that was implemented and people take advantage of and actually makes the sport a little bit better looking, right? The fact that Mm -hmm. these guys can actually jump up and contest a shot and so long as as they're vertical, that's a good, honest contest, then that should carry over to the three-point line. 
You know, if somebody is jumping straight up on a pump fake, somebody can't just like heave themselves at that person and then get a call. You know, if you, if, if you're going to have one rule somewhere, you can't redefine that rule elsewhere on the league uh, or on the, on the floor. So hopefully this off season, they, they kind of revisit that and, and figure some of that stuff out. The other thing too, one thing I would, I would really like to see, um, with any team, but specifically here with the Lakers, if they were to see Houston, is with all these guys, whenever they shoot a three-pointer and somebody is anywhere close to them, they all fall over backwards, right? So why not leak yeah. out? Like, why not Why not leak out and try to get a couple... Remember Remember, Kobe used to do that, or, or opposing players used to do that exact thing against Kobe, where he wouldn't fall necessarily, but he would sit there with his hand up on a follow-through and watch the play or he would turn around and talk to the ref. And while yeah. he was doing that, the, the, the player who was guarding him would leak out and you'd get, you know, maybe four or six points over the course of a game on just cheap leak out kind of plays. Uh, if, if I were, you know, going up against Houston or, or any of these teams uh, where, where those shooters fall over all the time, I would just, leak out you don't have to box out that guy isn't getting up in in time to get a, a rebound and the lakers are big enough to where you could do so with confidence thinking that uh one of your guys are going to come down with that board why not get away with an extra bucket here or there over the course of the game that helps make up for the math that comes with shooting so many fewer three-pointers than houston is going to be putting up over the course of the game yeah and there's a there's like a ton of little things that i think the lakers need to clean up on you know if this becomes a playoff matchup um, the turnovers, which is disastrous. Um, yeah. Like if you're already going to lose the math battle by taking fewer threes, like you have to win the possession battle. And mm-hmm. that's just impossible when you turn the ball over 24 times or 25 times. Um, that's, that's unacceptable. And like, you know, I, I do believe that some of those were not actually turnovers. That they were just <laughs> people slapping the ball out of Dwight Howard's hands, but <laughs> um, that, you know, that has to be cleaned up and yep this is not to say that the Lakers played a game that they should have won by any means today. They did not. Uh, they were not good enough to win. Again, um, Quinn Cook played 29 minutes. <laughs> but there are, um, there are reasons to be skeptical of this matchup. That's all I want to say. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the uh, Lakers postgame podcast here on the Silver Screen and Roll podcast feed. Make sure you guys are tuned in for all of the shows across the entire feed here as the Lakers ramp up. Uh, for the playoffs as we figure out what the hell is going on there with with JaVale McGee. I've been kind of scanning Twitter and haven't really seen much on that front in terms of what else is going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. Our Slack is is unfortunately quiet right now, which which thanks, guys. I appreciate the support um, <laughs> as, as all this is going on. Uh, but, yeah, make sure you guys are tuned in. Maybe we'll get some more clarity uh, on that overnight and and whoever is hosting tomorrow's show will will be able to take you through that uh, but for now make sure you guys are safe out there tune in next time uh, this feed goes live we'll talk to you then yeah.